Hey everyone, David here. I want to tell you about my music podcast, On Rotation. It's engaging, interactive, and insightful. Music mm-hmm. entwines with everything. It's something that always rings true to me. So when I need something to kind of root me, I can always go back to music in a sense, you know? Yeah. Join me each episode as we rotate through a number of topics and hear why it's the podcast that's always on replay and never on repeat. Listen to On Rotation wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In order to be able to help others make connections with music, you have to be able to really delve into the work yourself. Music can be kind of a gateway to communication. You have to be able to understand what the music can do for you. If you find that one song, that one interest with someone, that opens up a dialogue. I would be surprised to meet someone who didn't have an emotional connection to music. It's my happy place. It really is that one thing that's solely mine. I'm glad that I have music to rely on. Music just helps everyone. Hi everybody and welcome to the On Rotation podcast, the one that's always on replay but never on repeat. Thanks for tuning in. My name is David and I'll be your host and lovely guide. The title track of today's episode is Brave Remix by Freedom Fry. I actually came to discover that song through the Good Vibes playlist on Spotify. So if you're ever looking for a good playlist to kind of boost your mood, definitely go check it out shout out to spotify shout out to good vibes all around we got a lot to get to today so let's jump right into our featured interview annette whitehead plow is an accomplished music therapist professor at multiple institutions and clinician i had a chance to sit down with them and they talked a lot about what it means to be a music therapist and how cultural perspectives come into play as part of the job take a listen so what was your education with music therapy? Like, what was your um, specialty and like what work have you mostly done? I have a bachelor's in music from Colorado State University in, with emphasis in music therapy. And then I have a master's degree in music therapy, uh, master's of arts in music therapy from uh, St. Mary of Woods College. And uh, my undergraduate, it was a, like, it's a generalist sort of degree, but it had a focus more on uh, medical and behavioral music therapy. I went and did an in- internship with Carol Schultz in Pittsburgh that was uh, much more humanist based and I just did that because I wanted a broader education about music therapy and to help define my place in it. And then years later when I got my master's, I got it focused on counseling aspects of music therapy as well as medical music therapy. So I've worked for 27 years or something like that in music therapy. Uh, the bulk of my work was working in pediatric burns at a, in a hospital and with families and children who are survivors of burn injuries. And then I've also worked in adult mental health in, at a state psychiatric hospital for many years with adults and older adults. I've also worked in uh, adolescent and child psych in hospitals, as well as worked in school settings and home settings with children with intellectual and developmental disabilities. 
and I've done some hospice work and some community music therapy. Nice. What were some of the more common practices that you had when working with these individuals? I think music therapy kind of looks similar, you know, across the board. It's just like, what what are the goals you're working on? So they still do the same things of like anything from listening to music and talking about the lyrics or doing music assisted relaxation through listening to music to um, singing songs or playing instruments and improvising to music or songwriting kind of looks the same everywhere like we do those things but like the types of songs we might use and the instruments we use will change and and the intent of those of the of that changes too mm-hmm. also movement music is definitely another thing and, and incorporating other arts as expressive media mm-hmm. and what have you seen in terms of being like more commonly used practices like what are some more I guess like obviously like you mentioned it's kind of dependent on the case and the patient but what's something that you would say is probably or what practices are more common or more popular in the community oh those those are all the common practices actually like yeah there's some folks believe that live music is better than recorded music and then others of us who think that they both have their place i could never recreate the, the sound of an orchestra on my guitar and my voice and that sometimes you need that sort of fullness and sound. And other times, like in memory care, like with people with uh, dementia, that um, I could play a song by Elvis, and that might spark some memories. But if I play Elvis singing, sometimes that will spark a lot more memories of, of when they listen to him, you know? Mm-hmm. So, that, 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 so sometimes recorded music is, be- is, is better. Yeah, and I also noticed that you do play a few instruments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's that been like kind of having a perspective of also being a leisure musician? How has that kind of impacted your work? Oh, it's it's just a huge part of my work to keep that, that to to be to keep my interest in playing my instruments and to and to enjoy them and to sing and enjoy that and not to let music become just about work. There was a time when music really became about work and and that when I would play for leisure, I would like play songs that I liked and I'd, and I'd be thinking of, oh I should do this with this client oh I remember I did it with that client and this client and it, like and then it felt like my leisure time was spent thinking about work and, uh, and so I kind of stopped playing a lot for several years and that was actually really really kind of sad not to be playing and so I was really when I was able when I realized that I had stopped playing and started playing again it was such a nice thing to be reconnected to the joyous parts of music mm-hmm. yeah and kind of on a similar note, has it been a struggle to kind of balance the life of an active music therapist with also being a professor? I, I think it's, for me, it's super important for me to always, to be a clinician, to still be a clinician uh, while I'm like in seeing clients while I'm being a professor, at least have done it recently, you know, within a year or two, because um, you can, I don't know, you get out, I feel like I get out of touch of with, with what it's like to be a clinician and, and, um, and with what's going on in clinical music therapy and that, that um, I like to have that, to bring that, you know, clinical knowledge in because uh, that's, because that's what I'm teaching people to be clinicians. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and it's work that I've, that I've, that I love doing. It's an absolute joy to share music with people and to, and to see them grow in the ways that they want to with, with you and to, and, you know, and in those moments where, like music is such an integral part of healing is 
just because that's even if it's a, a sad moment, it's still like it, it's a joy to be able to share that with people. Can you think of a time where music has personally helped you work through a hard time? Oh yeah, yeah, there's lots of times. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, a few years ago, I had like a surgery that went wrong, and and so I was in in a like a five month pain crisis, and actually that was when I reconnected to playing music again. And I also saw that my music tastes and listening went from like alternative rock and like, you know, strident and, uh, you know, music with a, uh, lots of dissonance to, uh, to like switched over to electronic music, um, like EDM and trip hop because it was really, you know, music that was really predictable and kind of had this, uh, they all kind of had the same beat and, and the music was very repetitive and didn't have a lot of dissonance in it. And, I found that that really helped me to cope with uh, with the pain and with uh, you know and how how my life was changing from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. It's really great. So I want to talk about the field of music therapy currently. There's like so much going on, obviously, with the pandemic still kind of coming, and the Black Lives Matter movement is really kind of heating up as well. Have you been able to observe, either through your work or through research or readings or the media, how you think people that, or like how the field of music therapy has kind of changed or evolved during this time? Oh, yeah. So so my research, uh, that I've been a researcher for a long time, and um, in my research over the last, like, I don't even know how many years, like 10 years has really focused more and more onto like cultural responsiveness and social justice issues. And I've been in my private life of like a social justice act activist for forever, <laughs> since I became a, like, you know, since I was like 19, started working on queer issues and have worked on you know, things around access to healthcare and um, Black Lives Matter activist. And, and many other issues over the years. And so, um, yeah, so that's that my area of research now in writing and presenting and um, teaching. I teach specialized courses in several uh, several universities. And, and I've, so I've been engaging lots of learning from lots of different people and different venues and about what's going on right now. And it's been, and I've been watching how my colleagues, music therapy is mainly white, heterosexual, cis women mostly christian you know and so uh but there are people of color in music therapy but and, and i've been seeing uh people changing you know in their social media highlighting uh, works of black authors and researchers a little bit and uh highlighting uh the voices of black music therapists and you know and just like we're seeing like a more than than ever before, white people turning out for Black Lives Matter protests and in lots of different ways and people talking about uh, frequent, you know, like shopping through like black bookstores instead of Amazon. And, you know, so I'm seeing that in my field doing that too. And was and it's interesting today, I was listening to a podcast and they were t talking with a researcher who was uh, like, why are white people more involved in, in this round of Black Lives Matter and why are they more engaged after George Floyd's death as compared to Trayvon Martin and even just ever all the other name all the other people have died and the people we don't even know about and certainly it's like the the graphicness of his death and then it was you know, we've watched that but that is just absolutely upsetting but also how the pandemic can be figuring into this and and, and that that's why people's increased interest in this can be figuring into it 
And uh, yeah, and I just I'm hope I hope that our that the field will continue to engage in these in this dialogue because uh, like my research is really showing that like in sociology music is a product of culture and so so we're using a cultural medium of music to work with people with who have different intersecting and cultural identities than we do and the other thing is like emotions like we, we all have basic emotions like fear and happiness and sadness but then lots of emotions are based in our are culturally based too and so if we're using a cultural medium to work in cultural emotions with people with different cultures and we really need to be much more in you know educated around cult, like cultural responsiveness and cultural humility and and um, social justice and, you know to be able to actually meet our clients and work with them in a way that's important to them and not just promoting our own white you know culture upon people who may not be white mm -hmm. and do you think this time has been especially hard or difficult or triggering for any patients that deal with any anxiety induced stresses well it depends like you know like um i think one thing that we're seeing is people who are naturally introvert that this being sheltered in place isn't as um bad as hard to do as um people who are extroverts people who are extroverts and and especially you know that they're they're having a harder time with like the social distancing and not seeing people for year for months at a time um also people who like who are depressed to maybe leaning towards uh, like isolating and insulating themselves from other people if they're not being managed and you know through like other means their their depression could get like those the, the that tendency to isolate um is part of depression but it can also then if you're not with people your depression can get worse and so that i think that that could be going on too but it's and and then the one place that i've been hearing from other music therapists talking about that it's really impacted is with people with who live in long-term care facilities, older adults who live in long-term care facilities, that they're not able to um, interact with family and friends like they used to. And if they have dementia or limited access to electronics, they might not be able to even FaceTime with people or understand that FaceTime is that that's actually their family member. And also, you know, some, some facilities, especially if COVID has gotten into that facility, they have uh, the staff to protect people is having to do very limited interactions with folks. And so people are by themselves or with maybe one other person for months, you know, with only people popping in to drop off their food and that they're find, finding like older adults are declining much, much faster than, than uh, usual. And so because of the social isolation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, definitely. I think I've seen both scenarios too, just in like friends and personal family members and things like that. Yeah. Very applicable. Yeah. If people have, yeah, if people have dementia, they, they sometimes have a hard time understanding that, you know, that this is a person talking to you on the screen and not like TV. Also, I've heard that like the window visits can be really disorienting to folks too. And then, you know, and then the families, you know, they're like, suffering because they can't see their loved one and they know that their loved one is having a hard time mm -hmm. yeah. yeah um could you actually talk a little bit more about what you call these cultural intersections in music therapy i was looking at your research and that was the book that i saw that came up so how would you like i yeah. guess what i'm asking is how do you define what these intersections are 
So the, the book was public, it was edited by me and my French, uh, Dr. Shirley Tan. And uh, we both came up with similar ideas, working in similar places. Uh, we both worked in burn units and she worked in adults, I worked in children, but we both had a lot, there was a lot of what we call medical migration, you know, people coming from other countries to the hospitals we worked at to get care because um, because it was better than, you know, because the United States has lots of access to great medications and, you know, and great facilities. So we were running into people from working, in, and also Shirley is not from the United States, and but working in the United States at that time. And so we were both encountering like different cultures constantly in our work and uh, me more with like folks from other parts of the world. And I heard, you know, I remember one day I get paged to to uh, see a child from Senegal and I'm, geography is not my thing. And so I was like, you know, where is Senegal? I, I had to stop in my office to look it up just to know like, where in the world is this from? Am I, am I go, you know, is this is this person from? And you know, and I went in and I was like, I don't know anything about their music and their culture, and I don't, you know. But the child was crying, and so I was like, to the dad, to the interpreter, I was like, Do you mind if I play music? Music sometimes helps children not cry. And he was like, Yes, please. And so you know, I got the child to stop crying, and then she started to fall asleep. So then I went and talked to the dad, and was and, and had to just really admit, like I. I don't know anything about your culture, and um, but I know about music and how I can help people to cope with hospitalization and children to cope with it and to help them to feel better like I did. And you know, so maybe we could partner together and you could tell me what I can do with your child and within the rules of your culture and then and then and I can help her to feel better. And, and so he was he was cool with that and we worked together to come up with a plan and. But yeah, so that's those sorts of experiences of like a con, like I were, my caseload often I had at least people speaking three or four different languages, like different different clients spoke different languages, and I and there were times when I never I would go weeks without having somebody who spoke the same language that I spoke. Yeah, so I was constantly working with people outside of my culture and constantly trying to work with interpreters to to explain what music therapy was and. For some cultures, it was it was an easy sell because we had similar cultural values and ideas around music. But other cultures, I had a really difficult time, and I kept being like, "Yeah, where where does music and health and and this person come together? You know, and how can how can I make this relevant, make music therapy relevant to this person when there's no context for this in their in their culture?" And and so those are the questions that I kept having, and. And Shirley and I talked uh, frequently about our work and things uh, and cultural things. And uh, yeah, we ended up coming up with it, like, because we had similar ideas. We we're like, well, let's let's start exploring that in the context of the North America, of, well, pretty much Canada and, and United States is the context of our book. And, you know, so, so yeah, so we wanted to look at both like the beginning parts of cultural responsiveness, which is like the examination of self and uh, of what are our biases and where do we have power and privilege also like the systems of oppression that are out there to really to like take off those blinders that many of us who are white have because we don't we don't see what's going on to for other people you know swimming along with lots of privilege um, but um, for those of us who are minoritized like yeah we like I'm queer and trans and I can like I see like cisgender privilege all over the place, 
all the time. It's like <laughs> I breathe it and I can't get away from it. And I see that I don't have it. And so, um, yeah, so we wanted to like first bring that, like that understanding of all those things first in the book. And then we wanted to pass like this literary microphone to um, people who are first people in the, in the culture to share both their experience, but also like about their cultures. And we had 10 questions about the culture to help to highlight like what are the what are the values in this culture and and what is the meaning of music in this culture and the meaning of health and to help to bring like this is where this is where music therapy intersects with people with from these cultures and so we went through major cultures and both heritage and gender gender identity and sexual orientation and we looked at cultures of religion and then other cultures like cultures of disability and cultures of survivorship yeah, and then we, the last part of the book kind of operationalizes how do we change music therapy? Yeah, the next edition of the book will, that the last section will be much more developed. Um, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love like hearing about just how music, like I always define music as like the universal language, you know, like it brings all of these sections together. Like I actually wrote an undergraduate thesis on the sociology of music too, and I talked about how like music has the power to link all these distinctions that present themselves in society so yeah. it does but then I remember like one day I was like for several weeks I was working with this young kid from um Nepal and and she was super cool and uh and she was like eight or something and um and the interpreter that we had was like a family friend and she was not very helpful <laughs> and um and so I just you know I would show up and I'd be like music you know be like <laughs> You know, and, and we didn't, and, the, and then the mom and the interpreter would leave to go have some time, you know, some downtime, which is cool. You know, the mom needed some downtime too. And, uh, and so the kid and I would just, I would bring out, a, I would bring an iPad and we'd use the app called Thumb Jam and we would, and she would choose what sound she wanted, like what instrument. And then and I would choose like a scale and, and then we would just improvise and we would do these improvisations that would last like 30 minutes. And so she would be, you know, and she was really great, like just a really natural musician. And she would create like different phrases and return to them in the music. And, and, and I would be listening and I'd be like, oh, to, in my, in, you know, for me, this is, this is sounding happy. And, and, but then I'd be like, oh, wait, but I don't know anything about like what the music of Nepal is. And, and, um, and is this like, a, I don't, I have no idea what she's expressing through her music. Like what, what are the feelings and thoughts behind it? And there was no interpreter to help me to ask her those questions. And so I had to, it was like, yeah, you know, I just had to trust that what we were doing was beneficial to her. And I could see like an affect change from being kind of like, you know, maybe not the happiest because you know, it's a burn hospital. It's not the happy, not a fun time. But then we would be playing and I could see like, just like the stress, you know just melt off of her shoulders and and by the end of the session she'd be happy but also tired which is you know like a big release of emotions happen and uh yeah so i i don't you know maybe i'm not the best therapist because i never knew what she was actually saying but like what we did in music helped her through her her stay right yeah, yeah. Exactly. But i don't know what i don't know like in 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 the united states the like her musical motives would have i like i would understand them better than I did. Mm -hmm. Have you traveled to other countries to do this work? No, I haven't. I've gone and spoken in a few other countries, but not yet. I, I would love to go and, ex and uh, experience uh, music in other cultures and to 
and to do work in it yeah at some point that'd be cool yeah <laughs> yeah definitely yeah tell me a little bit about your work within the lgbtq community it said on your web on your bio too like you kind of help to represent them in the creative arts spectrum yeah around almost 10 years ago um well, actually, more years than that. My, I was asked to speak about heterosexism in music therapy, so like heterosexual bias in music therapy, and and so I was like, okay, that'd be cool. And but my uh, my spouse was uh, more versed in those, and she studied that a little some during her graduate degree, and so I was like, hey, would you like to come and do this presentation? And she was working at a, actually an LGBTQ AI youth organization in Boston, and so. Um, uh, I was like, would you want to do this with me? So we did it together. And and in it, we talked about best practices around LGBTQ people and from other fields because we didn't have them in music therapy at the time. And, and somebody was like, well, Annette, you should write the best practices. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And so I kept setting, sitting down and trying to do it. And I was like, oh, this is too big. <laughs> and so I put it off. And then I realized I really needed to assemble a team. And so I met some a couple, two people who would be interested to work on it. And so then we started to sit down and to work on it. And, and we were like, yeah, this is too big for the three of us. And so then we invited more people and assembled a team of like nine people, I think, initially. And we ended up calling ourselves Team Rainbow. And for two years, we met like every other week on a one hour long conference call and read things and worked out what we termed like the... Um, like, well, they're, they're the suggested best practices for LGBTQ thing, um, concerns in music therapy. And we got it published. And we also then did a presentation at the, the National Music Therapy Conference. And we decided to invite all the people that we knew who were music therapists and tell them that this is groundbreaking and important. And so we had a huge crowd for yeah. the conference. And, um, and there were music therapists and who stood up and said, until I saw this presentation, and students and interns and that said, you know, until they saw this presentation, they thought that they were the only queer person in music therapy. And we all like saw people's tears saying this and listened to these words and we're like, oh my God, we have to do something else. And so we've continued on for almost 10 years now and we've been, we've done one other study and all together we've done a few things separate, like breaking into small groups studies. And we also have presented almost every year at national conference and at regional conferences and a few international conferences about uh, queer concerns. And then small groups have also done like writing chapters and different books about that. And so we, we also saw the need for a community, creating community and so we created a Facebook page. And, and just recently from that, we uh, like there's formed a, an affinity group for queer music therapists and music therapy students. And it's being head by, head by other folks, which is cool. So we can go back because we were never like, we never thought we were the only voice of queer people. We were just a voice and we came together. And and so we feel like we can now go back to figuring out like what we're going to do next and how we're going to continue to further this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's the <laughs> rainbow. And it's been a, just an absolute joy to work with each of them over the years and to also become friends with them and to, you know, see our families grow up and stuff together. Mm -hmm. But we still, we're across the country and also one of our members is in, in Norway now. So like, yeah. <laughs> it's a little tough with that a time difference, I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, our meetings still remain virtual. 
we hope to, you know, someday maybe to have like a retreat where we all come together. Mm. Yeah, that'd be nice. I was just wondering if there's anything else you could kind of comment on about the current state of music therapy, you know, like the modern age and the technologies that we have and yeah. how we kind of have to function remotely at this time. Like, So any other yeah. comments you have would be appreciated. Yeah, so technology has been, that's been such a cool part of being a music therapist and throughout my career. Because when I started, like we had like, rooms like with shelves and uh and cabinets filled with lps like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of lps and you, you know and and i ha we'd have like a record player on a cart and and you'd have to thumb through to find like oh i'll use this one and you know and drop the needle in the, in the groups if you're using recorded music and um yeah and you know and now i can have like a little device and a and a blue you know a small bluetooth speaker and you know and you have amazing sound and you have all the music on youtube and spotify or wherever else you're using at your fingertips and yeah so that that's changed our field enormously but also like electronic music technologies have really changed things from like you know like i can again use like a tablet or a phone or eye touch or something and i can have apps on it that then bring in sound, you know, instrument sounds that um, from all over the world, or you know, imagined instrument sounds, you know, like electronic music sounds that that we wouldn't have before, and and also we can, you can, you know, with apps again like Thumb Jam and other ones, you can immediately become an expert in playing like the cello and play beautiful solos on it without having to know how. You just have to move your finger around, you know. You don't have to like study an instrument for your life to sound good and and then things like GarageBand and audacity and fruity loops and all those um and there's a billion different apps that uh you can you can create music both with recording and with loops to create music that sounds like things on you know that you listen to by your favorite artist instead of like when i first started you know if we were recording it would be like on a cassette player or something, <laughs> you know, low, really low quality. And it would be like me and my guitar, maybe drums, and, you know, and you couldn't like do that, like, you know, cause you're not gonna, you don't, we didn't have access to, to, um, you know, music studios where you could do lots of tracks. And so you're very low-fi. And, but now I can do like multiple tracks and it can, and create a product that the client, you know, sounds like they're a recording artist and that, that's that's huge, and especially like I worked with children, so that was super. They were super pumped for that. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, and then technology also opens up multimedia projects, which I did like tons of those with kids of um, mm -hmm. you know like videos for their family or like one kid he wanted to create a horror movie, and so we did like a 10, 10 or twelve minute horror movie, you know, where we orchestrated it and everything together and then those we were really and we did music videos too like kids would learn to play instrument and sing a song and video them doing it and walk around the hospital and you know being dramatic and stuff like music video and you know and it was just like those are things that we never could have done when I first started and so yeah music technology just really really has opened up like a whole world of stuff yeah, that's great. Yeah, I would love yeah. to see those videos of the kids making like music. Those sound like awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, I really, you know, they were when I left when I stopped working at the hospital, like I had to let go of all that stuff. Oh yeah. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. But it was it was really cool to see and fun fun to do with them. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
Alright, now let's get into this edition of the Rotated Review. For this first episode of On Rotation, I wanted to do something a little bit different and give y'all a rundown of my top 10 album choices for 2020. I know we were all waiting to make it to 2021, but let's not forget some of the great music that came out this past year. I think 2020 was specifically a year that was really rich in music. I think artists were really forced to create and experiment a lot more due to the circumstances from the coronavirus pandemic being forced into social isolation and quarantine. I think really forced artists to take a look at their career and their music and what they produce and kind of experiment a little bit more with different sounds and whatnot. And I think that really showed in the music that came out this past year. So the albums that I have for y'all, they're in no particular order. I just kind of base them off of the release date. So here we go. The first album I have is Manic by Halsey. This album featured some of Halsey's biggest hits to date as well as her most personal material. Leading in with the song Ashley, Manic announced Halsey's departure from her past and into a new chapter of her life, one that came with many different voices and sounds. While the singer appealed to her pop audience with songs like Without Me, Graveyard, and You Should Be Sad, Halsey truly excels at curating a strange pop sound that results from a culmination of different genres and clever songwriting. On the album, Halsey experiments with indie, alternative rock, and dance to create this multidimensional sound. This was aided by a slew of collaborations, which resulted in Halsey's most star-studded album of her career. While she branches out globally, Halsey stayed true to her creative and songwriting roots. The lower-scale production beautifully complements songs like Clementine, and Forever is a Long Time, which features some of the singer's most innovative lyrics. Other notable tracks include the romantically slow Finally slash Beautiful Stranger, the heavy 3AM, and the poppy Killing Boys. The album closes with 929, which is basically Halsey's 2 minute and 55 second biography, and that rounds out this next chapter in the singer's life. You should be sad. The next album I have is How I'm Feeling by Lauv. This album really hit me in my feelings, as I would imagine was Lauv's intention. And while the majority of the album is devoted to the singer's breakup with Julia Michaels, I think the main theme of How I'm Feeling is definitely love itself. Lauv really dives deep into the good and bad aspects of love and creates this kind of juxtaposition with various sounds and content. He paired upbeat tracks with degrading lyrics, such as Fuck I'm Lonely, Mean It, and I'm So Tired which is actually one of Lau's most popular songs to date. Songs that highlight the emotional positivity of falling in love include Feelings, Sims, Tattoos Together, and Canada. Feelings was specifically my favorite off the album, and it came to me at a time where I was dealing with a lot romantically, and I just felt like the song really spoke to what I was feeling and growing throughout the time, with wanting something to work out and wanting something more. So thanks to Lau for telling me how I was feeling as well. And it's the really personal component of this album that truly makes it shine, in my opinion. I think Love really poured his heart out onto this album and gave us a piece of who he is, from battling mental illnesses on songs like Sad Forever and Modern Loneliness, to his familial relations on Tell My Mama, and even his dog, Billy. Like, he literally dedicated a song on his album to his dog. Like, who does that? <laughs> like, I just think that's awesome. And Love had put out material before but this is actually his first full debut album so props to him for putting out such a great and strong debut album if you don't mean it 
Janae Aiko has ruled the alternative R&B community for years with her signature brand and voice, but her career really took off in 2020 with the release of her album Chalumbo. It's actually her highest charting album to date, fun fact. Janae said that she felt like a volcano while developing this project and compared the album itself to an eruption, and it definitely was that, to say the least. Chalumbo is full of hit tracks, guest appearances, and so many other elements that are actually scientifically engineered to make you feel some type of way. Janae talked a lot about how the use of sound bowls, which are geared towards resonating with various chakras in the body, were utilized in making the album. Each sound, note, or octave is supposed to activate a different area of the body and make you react physically. As I also mentioned, Chalumbo featured a lot of guests, including her, Big Sean, Ty Dolla Sign, and Miguel. Some of Janae's biggest songs also came off of the album, and these included BS, Triggered, None of Your Concern, Happiness Over Everything, and Pussy Fairy. Janae even took this collaborative effort further when she released the deluxe edition of Chalumbo on July 17th. She added nine more songs and featured more artists such as Snoop Dogg, Chris Brown, Wiz Khalifa, and Kalani. Janae even did a song with her older sister Mila J, who was also involved in the music industry in case you didn't know. On that note, this album was also a huge family affair for Janae. Chalumbo is actually her real last name, and Janae chose to highlight multiple members of her family in various music videos and lyrics off of the album. Janae also donned a new look and style for the album artwork, which is something we never have seen her done before. Janae also explored a lot of themes related to female empowerment and sexuality as well. In my opinion, this album is a true representation of an explosion of artistic creativity. And since it came from an artist like Janae Aiko, we sure as hell got a lot more than we expected. So Chalumbo, definitely a good one to take note of. Next, I have Nicotine by Trevor Daniel. And Trevor Daniel's sound is how I would describe my ideal music taste, rhythmic pop with hip-hop undertones. This past year, I really got into this type of music, and I wanted to learn more about Trevor Daniel in general. I only knew him from his most popular songs, which are Falling and Past Life, but I started to get more into his material once I realized he dropped an album. Nicotine caught my ear from the beginning. I would often find myself listening to and singing the opening slash title track over and over again, just randomly. Not only did this catch my ear, I also really vibed with Trevor's voice and singing style. He kind of reminded me a lot of how Juice World sounds, and I think this style of music is really taking off right now. You see this kind of fusion of rap singing becoming popular with a lot of different artists like Post Malone and Bryce Vine and so on, so that's something that I think my ear was already in tune with. And as a shorter album, Nicotine was a project that I could easily go back to multiple times and listen to over and over again in a day without really getting tired of it. The album is where Trevor Daniel's romantic yet playful sad boy image comes into fruition, and he sings a lot about complicated relationships on tracks like 911 and Disaster, as well as devotion on tracks like Things We Do For Love and all of that. I feel like he kind of has these two varying moods that are on opposite ends of the spectrum, and the album showcases Trevor trying to find the balancing point between these moods. I also found myself relating a lot to Trevor himself as I watched interviews of him. I found out that we are close in age, and that we have actually the same astrological sign, and hearing about love and heartbreak means a lot more when you hear it from someone who 
has a similar background as you. So the perspective aligned here perfectly on this album for me listening to it. And I'm really glad I got into Trevor Daniel and his type of music this past year because I felt like I discovered a whole other realm of music that really describes me well. Next, I have Bubble by Ant Sanders or Saunders. I'm not really sure how he pronounces it, but he's a cool dude. Like, he's really, really cool. From his voice to his aesthetic, I just feel he embodies this talent and energy that really separates him from a lot of his peers. And I think Ant Sanders is an artist to definitely watch out for as he puts out more work. After listening to his debut EP, I am hella excited to see what he does next. Most people know Ant from his hit song Yellow Hearts, which explains everyone's confusion behind the emoji. Like, does it represent being just friends or lovers, a little bit something in between, a little something less? Who knows? It's kind of confusing. Like, what Like what the heck does it represent? Who knows, really? Maybe you just like the color. Who knows? But Ant really put it all into that song that we all kind of related to, and it became really popular at the end of 2019, but carried into 2020 as well. So in April, Ant released Bubble, and it featured Yellow Hearts, as well as a remix track with the singer Audrey Micah. And the remix added a playful interaction between the two singers that really elevated the track to the next level. The rest of the songs on the project perfectly present Ant's talents as well, and there are quite a few. Backed by an acapella background, Ant spit a really cool verse on It's Over, created an industrial sound on Pedestrian, and incorporated a funkiness on Miscommunications. I specifically loved the lighthearted You Know It's Real, which combines some elements of rhythmic pop that I really enjoy, and I found myself going back to this project multiple times over the course of 2020. So Bubble by Ant Sanders or Saunders. So won't you come over? Now, if you want to talk about a true young budding talent, then you have to talk about Kiana Lede. The 23-year-old celebrated her birthday this past year by releasing her debut album, Kiki. Kiki is a culmination of the singer's personal experiences. In my opinion, she has this habit of venturing into these in-between scenarios where there's no exact end or direction in sight. From this, we see that Kiana's wisdom and perspective on love, life, and relationships definitely surpasses her age. When I first listened to this album, I actually did something a little bit different and I took notes on every single track. I found that each song was so lyrically deep and really served a different purpose that I think that every contemporary R&B album should have. I was able to categorize Kiki as personal, poetic, and progressive, with three varying sound themes as well that are reflected into the album. The sound themes are dreamy, sultry, and bouncy. The dreamy songs include Crazy, Plenty More, and Second Chances featuring Black. The sultry tunes include Chocolate featuring Ari Lennox and Forfeit with Lucky Day. And then the more bouncy tunes are Movin', Feel Away, and Labels. Labels is actually inspired by Biggie's hit from back in the day, Juicy, and that song actually came out before Kiana was even born, so if that doesn't expose her old soul, I don't know what else will. Kiana also packed the album with some slower songs like No Tape Facts and Attention, and in my opinion, Attention is probably one of the most beautifully written songs of 2020. I loved hearing Kiana's voice throughout the entire album, but this song really exhibits some of her best singing and songwriting. While each song ended with a period to kind of represent a finished chapter or statement, the tracks blend so beautifully together that it's hard not to listen to them in order. 
Kiana also helped keep this project alive all year by periodically releasing acoustic EPs of the songs, as well as in a deluxe edition that featured seven additional tracks. So Kiki by Kiana Lede. Just keep it Next, I have Amuse and Her Feelings from Division. And you have to listen to this album in order because the transitions are legit. They are not to be messed with. But if you wanted to jump around, of course you can. You're allowed to do that. Division is the super creative and innovative duo that experiments with genres such as R&B, pop, soul, electronic, and trap. They are this artist that I always applaud for producing consistently good and unique music. And this album was by far no exception. As cohesive as it is, Amuse and Her Feelings is also all over the place, strange enough. Division didn't waste any time packing this project with different sounds and guest appearances. In other words, I think the amount of effort that went into this album was definitely unparalleled by anything else. You know when you listen to an album and you hear that one song that you instantly identify as your next go-to? That's what this album did for me, and that was the song Miss Me. And I would describe that song as an ideal sweet spot for my music preferences as well. It deals with the hardships of trying to get over someone you once loved over this beautiful trap soul composition. So it was just perfect for what I like to listen to. And while so many of these tracks stood out to me and the album was so good as a whole, some songs to take note of are definitely Flawless, Between Us, and Amuse. Flawless features Summer Walker, and her voice perfectly meshes well with Division's vocalist, Daniel Daly, and Between Us does the same with R&B singer Snow Allegra's. So with so much versatility and talent, I would say Division is an artist that no music community should ignore, and Amusing Her Feelings is an album worth your ears. Tell me, do you miss me? The next album I have is EP8 from Queen Herbie, and if you don't know Queen Herbie, then you may know Carmen or remember Carmen, and that's actually how Amy Noonan became popular. As the front woman of the pop duo that produced hits like Acapella and Broken Hearted, Amy and her husband-slash-producer Nick rose to stardom in the early 2010s. After suffering label issues, Carmen decided to switch gears and rebrand themselves as Queen Herbie, which is actually Amy's rap alter ego that she developed. Ever since her first EP dropped in 2017, Queen Herbie has had a heavy hand in creating her artistic image both visually and sonically, and let me tell you, it is quite exquisite. EPA is arguably Queen's best work yet, as it includes one banger after another. Since Queen has singing and rapping capabilities, she was sure to highlight both on EP8, and this EP became my go-to workout EP this past summer. I blasted through each song as I did all of my workouts, and the five tracks on the album are Sugar Daddy, Dump Truck, Mind Games, Check, and Self-Aware. On this work, I think Queen really reestablished herself as a rap force to be reckoned with. Her witty lyrics and quirky production carve out such a unique name from her in the realm of a rap pop. Mind Games was my personal favorite, and Sugar Daddy became a fan favorite off the album. I really got into Queen's work this past year, and I think this EP is the perfect segue for anyone looking for new music or is just curious about what happened to Carmen in general. And let me just tell you, spoiler alert, they're doing just fine. If you want the best, I'ma need a check. If you want the best, best, I'ma need a check. Soulful Electric Pop is how I would describe Ellie Goulding's last album, Brightest Blue, which came out in July of 2020. While the album stays true to her signature electronica sound, Golding played around with a new style and lyrical content as well to take note of. 
She featured more softer sounding tracks as opposed to some of her past hits like Lights and On My Mind. And in fact, this actually became the signature component and style of the album. The songs that reflect this component make up more than half of Brightest Blue. And some that stand out to me include New Heights, Woman, and Flux. How Deep is Too Deep is one of my favorites and talks about the frustration of getting personal with someone in an intimate relationship. Most of these songs explore the themes of love, womanhood, and finding clarity or confidence. Golding even mentioned in an interview how her songwriting process changed while working on this album and helped her learn more about herself. The addition of various interludes supplements this aspect even more, and some of the more upbeat songs include Power, Tides, and Sixteen. Love I'm Given is another one of my favorites, and it exhibits Golding's incredible singing capabilities as well as extremely soulful nature. Of course, this album wouldn't be complete without some hits as well from Miss Golding. And she collaborated with artists Black Bear, Diplo, and Sway Lee, and Juice World to produce tracks Worry About Me, Close to Me, and Hate Me, respectfully. Golding also chose not to highlight these features until the end of the album, in a way to have her story be fully told by herself first, before having others chime in. Overall, Brightest Blue speaks to Golding's progression as a musician, at this point, she's not just showing herself as an international pop singer. She's showing herself as a true artist. So, Brightest Blue by Ellie Goulding. The last album I have is Everything Means Nothing from Black Bear. And typically, we see artists depict their own life in their work. But we are also fortunate enough to have social commentary included once in a while. And Black Bear does this extremely well on Everything Means Nothing. Black Bear's music can be labeled as a crossbreed of pop, rap, and R&B, and I think this music is really dominating the charts as we speak. However, what separates Black Bear from other artists is his brutal openness and honesty. Everything Means Nothing includes the smash hit Hot Girl Bummer, which is often thought of as a response to Megan Thee Stallion's anthem, Hot Girl Summer. And this song includes a satirical commentary on social trends. Black Bear also relies heavily on metaphors to show how social media is a giant villain. This is seen on the track Queen of Broken Hearts, and he says basically that if social media doesn't validate our feelings, then we're just going to end up with our hearts broken like any other relationship or thing that isn't good for us, essentially. And a majority of the album also revolves around Black Bear's own self-deprecation. This is seen on songs like I Feel Too Much, I Felt That, and Smile Again, which exhibit a softer sound. Black Bear also plays with a more dance-level production on songs like I Feel Bad, Sobbing in Cabo, and Half Alive. Why Are Girls bears resemblance to some of the poppy tracks that The Weeknd has put out, and Me and Your Ghost openly talks about crippling depression behind these peaceful guitar strums. Very interesting. The contrasting nature on this album is something that is definitely becoming more common across a lot of music genres today, and... I think Black Bear is really one of the masters of this sound, though. I think Black Bear is that person that always says what is on everyone else's mind. His work epitomizes the younger generation's interest in making light of their inner demons while granting everyone a sense of belonging. So everything means nothing from Black Bear. When did I become so dark? And those are my top 10 album choices of 2020. Just wanted to throw in a few honorable mentions because, like I said, there was so much really good music that came out of 2020. It's so hard to nail it down, and it was hard for me even to put this list together. I had so many albums that I really kept my eyes and ears on throughout the year. But just to name a few runner-ups, I also have After Hours from The Weeknd, 
It was good until it wasn't from Kalani. Good to know from Jojo. 321 from Len and Stella. I had another dream from Somo. And Love Plus Everything Else by John Kay. And that's the rotated review. Want to join me for the next review? Send in your suggestions to the on podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at TheOnRotation or Instagram at OnRotationPodcast. Make sure you hit that follow button while you're at it. To read this review fully, see my blog, or listen to past episodes, log on to OnRotationPodcast.wordpress.com. Now let's take a look at what popped this week in news. Ryan Seacrest and Lucy Hale co-hosted a heavily remote edition of Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve. The host said they wanted to acknowledge the heaviness of the year while also creating some normalcy. Guest hosts Billy Porter, Sierra, and Big Frida reported from NYC, LA, and New Orleans, respectively. In addition, musical performances were broadcasted from the West Coast. Headliner Jennifer Lopez also acknowledged the times when she paused during her set to say, quote, If this year taught us anything, it taught us to be grateful for what we do have. Taylor Swift is the first artist in history to debut a song and album at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and 200 simultaneously. Swift teased her album Evermore, as well as its lead single Willow, on her 31st birthday this past December. She addressed fans on social media by saying, quote, You've all been so caring, supportive, and thoughtful on my birthdays, and so this time I thought I would give you something. Swift also holds the record for most weeks atop the Artist 100 chart at 43. And in the last week of 2020, a staggering 39 seasonal tunes decorated the Hot 100 with a record 9 occupying the top 10. Mariah Carey's 1994 original hit All I Want for Christmas Is You went back to number 1 and became the only holiday song to top the chart for 5 weeks. The track also allowed Carey to start and end the year in the top spot. Other festive favorites among the top 10 included Jingle Bell Rock, A Holly Jolly Christmas, and Feliz Navidad. And that's going to do it for this episode. Feel free to tune in next time when we rotate through a whole new slew of topics. Keep it real, y'all. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.